Our next speaker uh, is, I've actually worked with her for quite a few years. We've kind of followed each other to jo from job to job uh, across the city. She's a, a fellow science communicator, uh, currently working at ScienceWorks. It's, it's May Lou. Um, and she has spent most of her childhood climbing trees, asking questions, uh, as I'm sure a lot of us did. Uh, she currently works at the education team at ScienceWorks. If you visit there, you might, might, uh, might spot her running a program or telling some kids how things work. Uh, you can find her on Twitter, at MakerMay, M-E-I, or on Instagram, at SciComLife, with two Ms. Um, so I'd like you to make a very welcome, everybody. It's May Lou. You're going to do a microphone thing. Thank you. Hello, everybody. Well, you have Tom to thank or blame for me being here tonight. And in true Tom Lang diplomacy, he said, we can't find anyone else you're it. <laughs> so here I am, and I'm very glad to be here, and it was so nice to meet you beautiful people out there as I did a cheeky plug for ScienceWorks adult evening series called Dark Lab. Um, I won't go into it. Oh, look, there's my renter crowd. <laughs> um, if you have any questions, you can go and find Kate over there. She'll be able to tell you more about some of our um, astronomy and space events that are coming up. So at ScienceWorks, we do live and breathe science, uh, which can be a bit malodorous sometimes because we are so close to the Spotswood pumping station, which even though it's historical, it, it, it still pumps sewerage up to Werribee. Um, so in true science work style, I thought we would start with some audience participation. So I'd like you to turn to the person next to you and tell them on a scale of one to 10, one being meh and 10 being I can't live without it, how much you love your smartphone. All right, go ahead, on a scale of one to 10. Is this, is this the kind of crowd where you're kind of high up there? You can't live without it? All right, settle down, kids. I'm getting my teacher voice on. <clears throat> if you love your smartphone, chances are you love it because you appreciate its ability to communicate with other devices and access the internet. Now, when you think of who might have invented the basis for communication technologies such as Wi-Fi, Bluetooth and GPS, who do you think of? CSIRO? That's what I thought too. I bet you weren't thinking it was someone who starred in softcore porn at the age of 19. Someone who portrayed the first female orgasm in mainstream media. No? Someone widely promoted as the most beautiful woman in the world during Hollywood's golden era heyday. Someone lampooned by Mel Brooks in Blazing Saddles later in life and who subsequently sued Mel Brooks and a whole bunch of other people and was caught twice for shoplifting laxatives and eye drops. <laughs> a misunderstood genius? A woman forever typecast as seductive temperatures, difficult other woman, forever looked at but intellectually overlooked. 
I am, of course, talking about Heidi Lamar. Born Hedwig Keisler in Austria in 1914 to wealthy Jewish parents. Her dad was a banker, mum was a concert pianist, and, you know, think boarding school in Switzerland, etc., etc. She died, spoiler alert, alone, bitter, and half-blind, aged 86 in Florida. She once said in a television interview in the late 1960s, I am a very simple, complicated person. How can people understand someone who has as many sides as I do? It's exactly this multifaceted nature of Hedy Lamarr that's drawn me to her story. Our story begins with her most public face, her glamorous looks. Imagine Catherine Zeta-Jones' sultriness cross Dita Von Teese's seduction and a touch of demureness. Snow White come to life. An entire room would hush when Hedy walked in. Audiences gasped at her beauty when she appeared on screen. In 1933, Hedy starred in a Czech art house film aptly titled Ecstasy, in which she left her boring husband for a hot engineer, swam naked, and had a really great time in bed. Now, this caught the attention of the third richest man in Austria, and his name was Friedrich Mandel, who was by then an established munitions dealer who arranged their marriage, he kind of just sidled up to their um, acquaintance and said, let's just make this happen. And then when he did marry her, he tried to destroy all the copies of the ecstasy film that he could get his hands on and um, wanted her to stop acting. Some sources paint him as protective. Others paint him as overbearing locking her at his castle and country manor and only letting her out for parties and business meetings because she just happened to be really good at math. He was having some serious meetings with some serious fascists, henchmen of Hitler and Mussolini. Some sources say that the couple actually partied with Hitler and Mussolini themselves. <laughs> some secret fascists in the room here. Um, Hedy was a gracious hostess, though she was reportedly not allowed to talk or smile much or risk Mandel's jealous wrath. So if she couldn't talk or smile, what could she do? Hedy eavesdropped on munitions trade secrets and the art of war. Hedy Lamar was deeply unhappy at this, forbidden her acting or any other creative pursuits and told her to buy furs and jewellery instead. Her lack of freedom, coupled with worrying signs of anti-Semitism in the region, had Hedy stockpiling cash and jewellery and planning her escape. So there's quite a few conflicting stories online about how precisely she escaped. Whether A, she fled with her maid to Paris, B, she drugged her maid and stole her clothing and then fled to Paris, or C, ask Mandel to let her wear all her jewels and escape with a lot. Or D, ran away with only a single glamorous gown. We actually don't know the truth. Sorry, I couldn't actually accurately fact check this for a 10 minute talk, so here we go. Um, anyway, so Hedy luckily or cunningly escaped Mandel's clutches and met Louis B. Mayer, 
director of MGM, Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, of the roaring lion's head fame that you, know, that you see at the start of the movies. So Louis B. Mayer was pretty scandal-averse, but Hades' beauty must have wowed him, and he gave her a contract. Some sources say she accepted pittance. Others say she negotiated the equivalent of 3,000 a week. That's a lot. That's more than I earn. <laughs> Hedy was consistently typecast as the foreign seductress, the other woman. She did, actually didn't get very many lines. And in typical candor, she quipped, any girl can be glamorous. All you have to do is stand still and look stupid. <laughs> Hedy was a bored and lonely immigrant, unfulfilled intellectually and creatively. However, Hedy was a problem solver. Her son, Anthony Loder, product of the third of six marriages she's had, he said, she was such a creative person, non-stop solution finding. If you talk to her with a problem, she had a solution. Hedy solved her boredom by creating a secret laboratory complete with a full draftsman's table, the right kind of lighting, bookshelves of engineering reference books. In her secret lab, I love that, in her secret lab, she tinkered with inventions like an improved traffic light, a better tissue box design, a water carbonating tablet, kind of like Barocca. She said it tasted terrible, it like, tasted like Alka-Seltzer. Hedy was, always worried, uh, Hedy was also worried about the impending Second World War, as well as, like most Hollywood actresses, her figure. Hedy had a European figure, broad shoulders, meatier than the average Hollywood starlet, and a much smaller bust. When she went to a party in her early 20s, Hedy met George. George Antile was the bad boy of the music scene at the time what several sources call avant-garde, not to mention being a prolific writer, called Ballet Mécanique, where he had 16 player pianos or pianolas programmed on paper rolls of punched-out code playing simultaneously and in harmony. However, this isn't where the conversation started between Hedy and George. Hedy was interested in a piece he'd written for Esquire magazine called the gland book for the questing male. He wrote that a woman's healthy pituitary gland might enhance the size and shape of her breasts. Okay, Hedy was really interested in this. She was so taken with the idea, and after meeting Antile, she went to him for advice on enlarging her bust without surgery. Now, nobody on the internet can really say how the conversation turned from tits to torpedoes, but it did. Hedy was already thinking about the National Inventors Council's call for civilian submissions and was aware of US torpedo signaling and how easily those signals could be jammed. Hedy had understood some of these concepts from her time overhearing trade talk in Mandel's mansion. She knew that if the transmitter and receiver could simultaneously switch communication frequencies with an agreed-upon secret code, it would be impossible for an outsider to jam. 
she just couldn't quite get how to do this technically. And that's where George came in. He used the pianola as an analogy. Imagine if the receiver and the transmitter could be programmed with the same recorder role. They would be changing note frequency at the same time. To an outsider listening on only one fre frequency, say just the note C, they would only hear communication on this frequency every now and again. So random blips on the radar and not complete communication. Genius. Hedy was so excited by this, she forgot all about her natural boob job and she left to get to work on it immediately, stopping only to write her number on Antile's car in lipstick. <laughs> Classic glamour queen move. So fast forward to 1942. Hedy and George received their patent for frequency hopping spe spread spectrum. That's a mouthful. Or FHSS. I'm just going to say frequency hopping from now on. Hedy was 28 at the time. Uh, in an act of patriotism, they donated their research to the US Navy, who could not get over the image of a piano strapped to a torpedo and stop laughing only long enough to shelve the idea. Hedy Lamar was told by Navy Brass, you should go raise money for the war instead of this silly inventing business. Stick to what you know, doll. Dismissed for her brains and told to rely on her beauty instead. Hedy was disheartened but still patriotic. She reportedly raised seven million in war bonds in a single night. So the idea was that she would give a kiss to anyone who donated more than 25,000 in one go. Now this didn't really sound feasible to me, so I did a little calculation. So seven million divided 25,000 is 280 kisses per night which either means Hedy was working really hard for her adoptive country or she was just trying to leave an Italian wedding. <laughs> Other sources say that she would flirt with another famous actor in front of a live audience and would just be a total tease and not kiss him until enough money had been raised. That's probably more likely. So fast forward again to the Cuban Missile Crisis. So before that, in the 1950s, some engineers in an electronics business uncovered the frequency hopping patent and set about designing an electronic means of frequency hopping instead of the mechanical ma manner described by um, Haiti and George. However, it wasn't until the Cuban Missile Crisis in 1962 that had the US military closely examining frequency hopping technology and realising it was an absolute hopping is especially useful for communication between multiple electronic devices such as GPS, Wi-Fi and Bluetooth. It overcomes issues with signal interference as communication can seamlessly switch to a different frequency bandwidth. By this time, Hedy's patent had expired and she and George Antile, who died by that stage, never received a cent. Fast forward to now, I keep saying fast forward, I'm just moving really quickly. Fast forward to now, and Hades invention is the basis for so much that we take for granted. Cellular data, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, GPS, and not being stuck in some version of the man in the high tower. Oh, pop culture reference there. <laughs> um, 
So the next bit is called Haiti's Decline. So it gives you some idea of what I'm going to be talking about. When Haiti finally received some recognition for her contribution to comms technology, she didn't go to accept the honour. An angry recluse by this stage, face marred by experimental plastic surgery, suing everyone under the sun for unauthorised use of her image and name. She reportedly muttered, it's about time. Yet another facet of Hedy Lamar. It's important to remember that despite having a perfect face, she was not a perfect person and she never pretended to be. She was a woman of action who took risks and problem solved as best as she could. Woody Allen once asked Hetty whether she had any regrets about her life. No, no regrets, she said. Nothing is perfect in this life and nothing is for sure. But you learn from everything all the time. <laughs> 